Master's conversation, Sri Ramakrishna's conversation, uh, with which we concluded the last class. The master speaking to the devotees. After I had experienced samadhi, my mind craved intensely <coughs> to hear only about God. I would <coughs> always search for places where they were reciting or explaining the sacred books, such as the Bhagavata, Bhagavata, the Mahabharata, and the Adhyatma Ramayana. I used to go to Krishna Kishore to hear him read the Adhyatma Ramayana. So as in the last class, <clears throat> we were discussing that when the mind comes down from Samadhi, it rests in the Ishtavritti holding on to which it went into Samadhi. So this is a thing which we should uh, be very, very clear about. That our spending the day taking the name of the Lord is not the same as Ramakrishna's spending the day taking the name of Lord or reading the scriptures, reciting and explaining the sacred books. All those things are for the novices. We may say that Ramakrishna is a realized soul. How come he has to remain with all those engagements? That in the scriptures they say that moment the when you go to the realization that all the Vaidhi Bhakti, the preparatory devotions, they fall off. Then uh, it seems as if the life of Ramakrishna is as if contradicting this. So to understand this, we should resort to the idea of Parinama in the Yoga Sutra. Parinama, that is transformation of the mind. That for us at present, the state of mind is called Sarvarthata. That it is having thousands of vagaries, restless mind. When we are trying to focus with the help of Japa, meditation, scriptural studies, we find that again and again, the concentrated state of my mind, the ekavritti, that breaks off. The sarvarthata comes and breaks off. Why? Because the subconscious mind is filled with all those vagaries. My conscious attempt is very feeble compared to all those distractions. But what's the way out? The way out is to understand how all those Samskaras have went into the subconscious mind. The entry to the subconscious is through the conscious mind. Sometime in this life or in previous life, I have thought of all those vagaries consciously. I have thought of them, thinking them to be the necessity for life. I thought them, repeated them, and that's how they went deep into my subconscious mind. So the way to the subconscious is through the conscious mind. So at present, Maybe my conscious, subconscious mind is filled with all those distracted thoughts. Compared to that, my attempt to concentrate my mind is very feeble. But each and every attempt, though it is not perceptible, is creating a samskar. Because as we know that the way to subconscious is through the conscious. So that each and every attempt to concentrate my mind, though it may be a failure, I am creating a little samskar. And these samskaras are going and gradually saturating my subconscious mind. 
and this samskaras of ekavritti wing opposed to bahuvritti it actually is like pratipaksha contender the more this ekavritti saturates the mind the more the vagaries of the mind they are washed off as the example which we give again and again that a cup is filled with the turgid contents impurities it is full to the brim and now i start pouring pure water into it as it is already filled to the brim it starts spilling off the turgid contents starts spilling off and as it starts spilling off the turgidity gets diluted and a time comes when all the turgidity has been washed off and the cup is full of pure water the same thing happens with the mind though the conscious attempt to concentrate my mind is very feeble as if there is no change but the change is happening so that's why in spiritual life the three p which swami ji spoke of is very important purity patience perseverance that each and every attempt to keep my mind in ishtavritti in god is purity that speaks of the purity i won't succeed in one attempt for that i need patience and that patience should be along with the perseverance it's not that i simply just wait that sometime by itself the mind will become concentrated no i have to try again and again that speaks of perseverance and that's the only way the mind will at last get transformed to that ekavritti all the vagaries will fall off now again that's not the ultimate state the state of ekavritti at last will take us to the state of nirodha where the mind as if collapses there are many ways to understand it the easiest way to understand is when the ekavritti becomes intense that is as if no gap between the ishtavritti the same thought then the mind cannot remain as mind because the mind is also a flow in this life everything we see is a flow that's why it is called samsara samsarate iti samsara everything is flowing why there is a flow everywhere whatever you see everything is flowing because in some way or other there is a polarity like water where white water flows as long as there is a difference in level the water will flow if both the levels are same the flow stops as long as the difference in potential electricity flows the when the potential in both the ends are same the electricity there won't be any flow whether when the two north poles of same magnitude are placed just in the proximity of each other the magnetic field nullifies so it is a polarity which speaks of flow why the mind remains as mind because mind is a flow as long as it is jumping from thought to thought it can continue as a mind when because of intense concentration there is no gap as if between the same thought previously the mind was thinking a b c d now it is thinking a a a a so the polarity has been resolved the moment that intense thought resolves the polarity the mind collapses for the time being and it takes us to that non dual experience where the world as if this world of name and form is no more there only i exist and that amness is something which is beyond time space causation at present when i think of my amness i know i am in a particular space i am sitting somewhere at particular time the causation that what has resulted me all those things are related to that amness but when you go to that realization when the mind collapses for the time being that amness becomes non local but now again an interesting thing though it goes to that state this state for the time being is a new samskara that this ekavritti becoming very intense to take you to that state it has to now saturate the mind is already saturated with the ekavritti which has which is resulting in the state of nirodha so the ekavritti very easily breaks the state of nirodha the arrested state of mind but now this mind has no vagaries that has already been washed off it has already been washed off by your previous assiduous practice so when the mind comes down from the samadhi that the state samadhi is the state where through contemplation you have become one with the object of meditation that happens when you go beyond the mind so when you come back 
when the ekavritti again pops up and the arrested state is broken you are thinking of the ishta your lord the various all the spiritual sadhana the practices with which you went to that state of nirodha that comes back never to fall still behind because that has already been washed away so now you will understand that when a person who is emerged in samadhi is coming down to the state of ordinary plane it is a question of coming down it is and that state is spontaneous it's not that he has to exert that his will power to remain in that state that's the that's the way for us the restless state is the spontaneous state that is just always there that is a default mode for a realized soul the ekavritti is the default mode so when he comes down from the samadhi there where his mind stays so it's not that he's willingly uh, practicing all those things that becomes a spontaneous state of his existence so that's how he has transcended all the practices though they seem to be adhering to his life but they are just a matter of habit it's not that he has to willfully do that as sri ramakrishna used to say an adept dancer need not have to watchful need not have to be watchful about his steps he is an adept dancer he has become so adept that is even if he is not focusing on the tune his or her feet will fall in the rhythm spontaneously so the one who has went to that state of samadhi his spontaneous state when he comes down is the state of the ishtavritti that has been spoken of by ramakrishna when he is speaking these lines that after i had experienced samadhi it's after he has experienced samadhi my mind craved intensely to hear only about god so when he comes down that's the natural state hearing only of god i would always search for places where they were reciting or explaining the sacred books such as the bhagavata the mahabharata and the adhyatma ramayana i used to go to krishna kishore to hear him read the adhyatma ramayana so when the my uh, this of what tremendous faith now he is speaking of krishna kishore the one to whom he used to go to study the scriptures to hear about the scriptures so what tremendous faith krishna kishore had once while at vrindavan he felt thirsty and went to a well near it he saw a man standing on being asked to draw a little water for him the man said i belong to a low caste sir you are a brahmin how can i draw water for you krishna kishore said take the name of shiva by repeating his holy name you will make yourself pure the low caste man did as he was told and krishna kishore orthodox brahmin that he was drank the water what tremendous faith so in the gospel we will find sri ramakrishna in some another context has indicated that ek prakare jati prutha uthe jete pare there is only one way by which you can go beyond all the caste distinctions and what is that bhakti bhakter kono jat nahi once you have developed bhakti you have you go beyond all those caste distinctions now this is a wonderful uh, tradition of the this our vedic culture of the so called the hinduism that there the society in the beginning in the golden age the varnashrama dharma is something which doesn't speak of crystallization of the various caste it started with a very good intention that what's even in bhagavad gita we will say find that the idea is that chatur varnyang maya srishtam guna karma vibhavasha guna and karma that we each of us as an individual guna some has sattvic temperament some are of rajasic temperament some are of tamasic temperament some sattvic means some are uh sattva speaks of what that where the stimuli is not resulting in response just to say that when you are meditating that stimuli is illuminating your mind but you are not that illumination is not resulting in any action 
So that helps you to enter into a state of flow, which gives you tremendous bliss. So all those, so some, there are people who are of the sattvic temperament. So in our, even, uh, even you leave off, leave, uh, forget about the Vedic society. In the world, anywhere you go, but this, we will find these four caste of peoples are there. These Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas, and the Shudras. Can you find any society where it is not there? As per Gunakarma, as per the temperament, that is, that is bound to be there. What is the, the Brahmins? You go to the universities, the students, those who are professors, those who are these intellectuals, they have that sattvic temperament. They are deeply engrossed in their studies, contemplation. That's their life. That speaks of the Brahmin caste. In any society you go, you do have universities, you do have research scholars, you do have uh, these professors, those who are solely, uh, what do you say, that engaged in education or in contemplation. So that's the sattva that speaks of the Brahmin, the Kshatriyas, the administrator, the federal government who is looking after the army and administration. So even the state government, they're looking after this administration, the police, the army. So some people are of that temperament and the society has needs that type of class. So that speaks of the Kshatriya. Vaishya, the business class. Every society do have the business class. Without this business class, the society cannot be sustained. The entire finance, the economy is dependent on that business class. There are particular group of people who are as per the temperament, drawn towards that type of profession, that type of livelihood. And the Shudras, you may say the Shudras are not there. That to serve uh, the other humans as if like slave, it is not exactly that mode has changed, but the Shudras are still there. What the council is doing, they're clearing your garbage, they're cleaning the streets, keeping the park streets, everything clean. It's the role of the Shudras. They are serving the society. So the, we have started adding some, uh, a particular meaning to that word Shudra. But Shudra is as such, is needed for a society. That's in the form of service. Everywhere you find the way the roads are maintained, the, our, this, uh, the, 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 every week we find the garbage bins are cleaned. And just to keep the society hygienic, clean, neat, all the services, even uh, to certain extent in the hospital, the doctor may have maybe a research scholar, but there are so many uh, other people who are engaged in keeping the hospital clean, uh, just uh, all what you said, the disinfectants are used. So all those who are keeping the society clean and there it is required. Without that, the society cannot just sustain itself. So these are the four classes, which as per guna and karma, as per our temperament, all cannot think of higher education. Neither all have the temperament for that. And it's not required as per guna, as per karma, as per your temperament, that you can choose any of those profession. And that is the, that is the thing, which is the basic idea behind the Varnasrama. But what happened, the evil of that society was, it became crystallized. That is, we forgot that it should be guna karma based on my temperament. It became as per the birth. Why it became as per birth? There was reason. It was not only mere exploitation. The reason was nowadays that in whatever family you may be born, if I choose for any profession, for that, there are some professional courses. I can go and get admitted. I want to be an engineer, I want to be a doctor. If I have sufficient uh, uh, grades, I can go and get admitted. In the olden society, in the old society, there were no such professional courses. So naturally the father of a blacksmith will uh, divulge the secrets of his profession to his son. From the very birth, he's being trained. And that's how, though it is supposed to be guna karma, it became something a trend of the family. And that's how 
gradually it started getting crystallized. And then all the exploitation, all sorts of exploitation, discrimination started. And it went on for centuries. But very interesting, if we study the religious, the spiritual history, in each and every part of India, whenever we find a spiritually illumined soul is taking birth coming, he is breaking all the barriers. All these so-called caste barriers is been broken because the basic idea, the basic idea behind spiritual illumination is that the Lord has become the universe. The core of our being is the divine. So if that be, if that be the truth, how can there be distinction? So wherever, so even in Bengal, we find with the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, there was a great movement where we find that the total caste system was eradicated by bhakti. He's special that, he, that the famous uh, words of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as has been recorded, is Chandal Chandal Nahe Jodi Krishna Bole Vipra Vipra Nahe Jodi Ashot Pathe Chale. That a Brahmin is not a Brahmin if he is resorting to illicit ways of living, this immoral ways of living. And a Chandal, the so called the lowly, they is not, he is not a chandal if he is having a devotion. So it is through the devotion you can go beyond all the caste barriers. That happened in all the religious movement throughout India for ages. Whenever there is a religious movement, you will find all the caste barriers are falling off. So that's what, that as the core of our being is divine, that as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to say, that Jive Shanman Dive Jani Krishna Odhishtan that respect each and every being, shanman, to get respect, jive, to each and every jiva, not only human beings, even to any other animals, any creatures, give respect. Why? The jani, because know it for certain that the core of his being, in the core of his being, the Lord is established. There's jive shanman dive jani krishna odhishtan. The Krishna is residing in the heart of each and every being. So this wonderful idea through which we find that all the class distinctions is to fall off. And here also, Sri Ramakrishna is giving that wonderful example. The Krishna Kisho, he's a Brahmin, but he had such a tremendous faith being brought up in this tradition. He had that tremendous faith that once you take the name of the Lord, you get purified. You get, as you are getting established in yourself, the dross falls off. So you're pure. The purity is, is in the mind. The body can never be pure. As there is another example in the gospel somewhere else, in another context, that uh, some lowly some lowly people was carrying water in the olden days, especially in the desert. They used to carry water in skin, in, this, in, in, uh, in the leather, in the leather bags. So in the leather bags, they used to carry the water. So now one person was thirsty. He's seeing a one, a lowly, a, a, a person of the low caste carrying water in that leather bag. As he was thirsty, to quench his thirst, first he asked, is your water pure? And the answer was, yes, this leather, leather bag is pure, is clean. But I'm not sure what about the leather bag in which the water will go, means the person's stomach. Is that clean? So that's the answer. Means our body is not clean. That what that when we are discriminating between the others, each and every being, as far as our body is concerned, it is ashuchi. That the uh, if that if famous uh, that there the is a very uh, what you say that in our uh, oral tradition, there's a nice story that the guru asks the disciple, please go and bring to me the most impure thing in the world. So the disciple was thinking that what can be the most impure thing? So after thinking a lot, he decided that it's most probably the filth that is the most impure thing. So when he went to get the filth, the filth immediately animated. It started conversing with the person. Don't touch me. That I was a wonderful delicacy in the restaurant, the something, either cake or something, 
it is when you have touched me when i went you you devoured me that's what i have become so again if you touch me what i will become i don't know so then this disciple understood that he himself is the most impure as per the body is concerned so that's the idea that as the body the brahmin and the chandala both are same it is impure and as the soul we both are pure so it is a question how you are oriented if you are identified with the self you are pure if you are identified with the body even if you may be a brahmin you are impure so that's why the one who speaks of the things of krishna who repeats the name of krishna who repeats the name of shiva whatever form of divinity you may be uh, contemplating on he is pure because he is identifying with the self and the one who is though he has been born born as a brahmin but he is busy with the worldly way of life he is identifying himself with the body so he is impure so as simple as that so krishna kishore just asked him repeat the name of the lord the moment you repeat the name of the lord you try you are identifying yourself with the self and you are pure and then all the caste distinction falls off i am ready even to take that glass of water from you so this with this faith easily you can transcend the so called all the social norms so that's that's why in a kathopanisha there is a wonderful shloka that ubhe kshatra cha brahma cha yasya kshatra cha brahma cha ubhe bhavati odana mrityu upasechanam yasya what it is speaking of that when you become a realized soul then you transcend the dictums of brahma and kshatra means brahmins and kshatriyas this society is guided by whom either by the state the state will be just dictating the laws for us that the kshatra and the brahmins or the church church means not only a particular faith the organized religious body of any faith that's what is maybe mean uh, we use mean by the word church that the organized religious body of any religion of any faith is the church that's the two things which guides our life if i am faithful that the uh, church the organized religious body to which i belong i try to guide my life as per the dictums of that church and of course i have to guide my life as per the states the legal laws and everything i cannot trans- transgress that but the one who is realized soul who is established in the self the upanishad is asserting that it transcends the dictums of the brahmin and as well as the state then does it mean that he doesn't he de- he will be disobeying no he is that again that as he has got established in the self he need not have to calculate that how to behave in this life what he dies what he does that becomes an example for others to follow because his life is a spontaneous expression of goodness to give an example that what it means to transcend the law not to transgress them by realizing you transcend just take a residential school where you will find that there is there is a routine everything is uh, as uh, the, uh, the students have to be very punctual there is a time for games there is prayer time for prayer for studies and they have to follow that routine why that routine has been made because most of the students don't feel like studying they have to be forced to study so for that discipline is something which is required but a few of the students have developed that love for the study they like to study they have developed a passion for education now for them they though they are following the routine but the routine is not required for them they have transcended so that's the idea that when you develop love for god you transcend the so called the uh, the do's and don'ts which has been uh, prescribed for the society you transcend you don't transgress them and that speaks of the purity that you have this this laws are no more required to bind you what you do that becomes the law for others so when you are attuned to the divinity so that's how you transcend the so called the vidhis and nishedas and you become established in the self and you are 
the pure self anyone can now relate to you apart in in apartments though whatever caste you may belong to you have transcended all those distinctions and that's what this sri ramakrishna is indicating that the krishna kishore had such a tremendous faith that once you repeat the name of the lord you become pure and even though he is a brahmin he can take a glass of water from him that doesn't in any way affect his so called the caste distinctions so once a holy man came to the bank of the ganges and lived near the bathing ghat at aryadaho not far from dakshineshwar we thought of uh, paying him a visit i said to haladhari krishna kishore and i are going to see a holy man will you come with us haladhari replied what is the use of seeing a mere human body which is no better than a cage of clay haladhari was a student of gita and vedanta philosophy and therefore referred to the holy man as a mere cage of clay i repeated this to krishna kishore with great anger he said how impudent of haladhari to make such a remark how can he ridicule a ridicule as a cage of clay the body of a man who constantly thinks of god who meditates on rama and has renounced all for the sake of the lord doesn't he know that such a man is the embodiment of the spirit he was so upset by haladhari's remarks that he would turn his face away from him whenever he met him in the temple garden and stopped speaking to him so here this again the idea of the sadhu sangha is indicated here that even in viveka churamani how nicely shankaracharya indicates that a realized soul he need not have to uh, think of alleviating the suffering of the human being and removing their ignorance his very presence naturally alleviates the suffering and as if uh, awakens the the spirit within each and every human being and sankaracharya is giving the example of the spring season when the spring season comes everything comes to life spontaneously it is not that the spring season by its itself is conscious of the tremendous welfare it is doing the the nature of the spring season is such the moment it is there if the life blooms up so a realized soul is like that spring season how nicely saying shanto mahant nivasant nivashanti santo vasantavat lokahitam charanta just like the spring season is moving around unconsciously doing good to the world tirna swayam he himself has transcended the world of suffering tirna means tirna means uttirna tirna swayam he has transcended the dualities of this world he has gone beyond it and bhima bhavar navam and janam ahetunam yapi tarayanta ahetu he has no selfish desire just his spontaneous way of living is such that it helps others the one who is in his proximity is bound to get affected by that life says so sri ramakrishna used to say a very interesting story that uh, interesting way of describing it in some other place when girish ghosh girish ghosh came to ramakrishna and he was repenting about his way of life that he he thought that no one can deliberate him he has so he has done so much of sinful actions there's there's no deliverance for him and ramakrishna rebuked him strongly by saying do you think that an ordinary snake has bitten you you have been bitten by a cobra and now you can run run away you can go to the top of the himalayas you can go to the bottom of the ocean you are going to die so what is the idea that in narada bhakti sutra they speak of this sadhu sangha as amogha its result is something which is bound to fructify if you have somehow came to a that in the company of a realized soul maybe it may not happen immediately but it will happen today or tomorrow 
some one another story which Ramakrishna used to relate is not there in the gospel. It is uh, something uh, which he spoke to uh, uh, Narendra, no, Swami Vivekananda, because uh, Master Mahashaya, the recorder of gospel, he used to come only on the weekends. He was a school teacher, naturally, only on the weekend. So whatever conversation is to go on on the weekend, that's related in the gospel. There are so many other anecdotes which Ramakrishna used to say to the ones who used to visit him on other days also. So one such story, Narendranath, the future Vivekananda is relating at Camp Percy. He was taking rest in America for a few days in a camp as he was having a very, very uh, busy schedule. So he cut off from that schedule and he was just retiring. So there a small close group of devotees were with him and to them he used to have some casual conversations. So one day in such informal conversation, he mentioned one of those anecdotes mentioned by Ramakrishna that, that once you are in company with that holy soul, knowing for certain today or tomorrow, its result is bound to fructify in your life. Ramakrishna used to say that a seed a seed was somehow fell on the terrace and it was there for years together. It was just there, the dry seed was there for years together and one day a strong wind blew and the seed was taken, was blown and it fell on the ground. And the moment it fell into ground, it germinated. So it was on the terrace for many years, but the moment it fell on the ground, it germinated. So sometimes the, once the spiritual seed has been implanted in you, maybe because of the lack of proper circumstances, it's not germinating. But that doesn't say, that doesn't mean that the seed is not already within you. It is within you. In proper time, the moment it gets the proper circumstance, it will germinate. The anecdote which I was speaking is very interesting. That there was a witch that Ramakrishna used to say, who is to reside by the side of a huge reservoir in deep inside the forest. Deep inside a forest, there was a huge reservoir and this witch is to stay just by the side of that reservoir. When from the nearby village, someone is to come to take a dip in that reservoir. If the witch was hungry, she will immediately devour her, him. But if she was not hungry, she won't let go that person. Thus conspicuously, without the knowledge of that person, she is to tie one of his hair, of her hair, on the ankle of that person. Now, the hair of that witch had a special characteristic that when you are walking, it will be stretched. It won't tear off. It will stretch, it will stretch infinitely. So this man, after taking the dip, will go to the village back, not knowing that actually one small hair has been tied to, the, to his ankle, to his toe. So most probably at night that person is taking rest and now the witch is hungry. So now she will start pulling the hair so, and drag him and devour him. So this idea is same, that today or tomorrow, the witch is uh, here, the Lord himself. He, once you have got the blessing, once that the illumined soul has touched you, the result is amogha. It is bound to take effect in your life. So that's the thing which we find that Krishna Kishore is indicating. That how can you say he's just a body of clay? That in spiritual life, know it for certain. That when I'm reading the scriptures, I think that is sufficient. What's the need of Guru? Everything I understand the scriptures, Brahma, Satya, Jagat, Mithya, I have understood everything. Uh, what's the need of any illumined soul? So know it for certain that sometimes reading books, Swami Vivekananda is indicating in uh, one of his lectures, that sometimes by reading book, we feel that we are progressing spiritually. But know it for certain, it is just mere intellectual uh, development. Your All the so-called doubts are intellectual uh, conviction you are developing, the doubts are being cleared off, but it in no way enters spiritual unfoldment. And then Swamiji is saying, only a lamp can enkindle another lamp. 
So in spiritual life, the guidance of an illumined soul is a must. We can never progress in spiritual life by just by studying the scriptures and by my own will. So, so though you may be studying the Bhagavad Gita, though you may be studying this, um, this uh, all the Upanishads, they are good. They help to cleanse the mind. But without the guidance of a proper spiritually illumined soul, know it for certain, spiritual illumination is not, unfoldment is not possible. So that's why Krishna Kishore, when he heard that he's ignoring a realized soul by just saying hey, the cage of clay, he was really angry with him. He was so upset by Haladhari's remarks that he would turn his face away from him whenever he met him in the temple garden and stopped speaking to him. Once Krishna Kishore asked me, why have you cast off the sacred thread? In those days of God vision, I felt as if I were passing through the great storm of Ashwin. Ashwin, the master referred to the great cyclone of 1864 and everything had blown away from me. No trace of my old self was left. I lost all consciousness of the world. I could hardly keep my cloth on my body, not to speak of the sacred thread. I said to Krishna Kishore, ah, you will understand if you ever happen to be as intoxicated with God as I was. So this is something interesting. That Sri Ramakrishna we find, he's saying that he has a, so much tremendous intoxication that this, the body consciousness was not there at all. So he couldn't keep his cloth. And not only that, the sacred thread gives a sense of that distinction that I am Brahmin, I belong to higher caste. So that's why he threw off the, this, the sacred thread. Even the, in, at the time of sannyasa, we all have to renounce the sacred thread. This was, this was the Brahm, because uh, it's the Brahmins who can be ordained to sannyasa. In our Ramakrishna order, there are so many revolutionary steps which Swami Vivekananda has taken, which even people are not aware. In our scriptures, it is mentioned that only the Brahmin, those who have Upavita, the Brahmins, or the higher three classes, they are entitled for sannyasa. Now, when Swami Vivekananda formed this organization, Ramakrishna Mission, anyone can join. But just see the beauty of this spiritually illumined soul. They never break the tradition. So as it is mentioned in the scripture that only the Brahmins are entitled for sannyasa, how nicely he made a wonderful uh, a tradition. He created a tradition. What is that? That as a Brahmachari, after as a pre-proportioner for some time, you have to be, uh, you have to take the vows of Brahmacharya. And that's the time, even those who are not Brahmins, they are given Gayatri, they are given sacred thread. So they have been actually, actually promoted to the Brahminhood. And they have to stay for another four years as a Brahmacharya, as a, uh, what you say, as a probationer for another four years. And then, now all are Brahmins. Then he renounces the sacred thread and takes sannyasa. Now the question is that why renouncing of the sacred thread? Because the sannyasi is beyond all the caste distinctions. The, as we were saying, the moment you are established in the self, all the distinctions falls off. So how can you continue with all those distinctions? So now that's why we have to give away, renounce the sacred thread, Sikha Shutra that the Brahmins will be having a tuft of year and this the sacred thread, both has to be renounced. The Sannyasa Guru will just remove the Sikha and the Sutra. Both has to be uh, sacrificed in the fire, the home of fire in which we are taking our Sannyasa Mantra. So now there are two types of Sannyasa. One is called Vividisha and another is the Vidvat. So what we are doing is a Vividisha Sannyasa. That we don't have that intense renunciation, but we somehow have developed that idea that yes, this is an ideal way of life. Let me try to attain to that ideal. 
So I am aspiring for that. I am not yet established. So for us, it is all willful action. But one, the other category is the vidvat sannyasi. Means his intense renunciation have established him that state of that of a renunciate. For him, we will find what we are practicing consciously that happens spontaneously because of that intense renunciation. So that's what we find in the life of Ramakrishna. That because of that instant, that intense renunciation, that all the caste distinctions has fallen off automatically. And as he was lacking this body consciousness, the Naga sannyasins they move around naked. Why? With the idea that they have to develop that, that the, the moment you are identified with the body, the question of gender comes. A small child, it never feels ashamed. It's moving, it moves around naked. Why? Because it doesn't have the sense of body and it doesn't have any sense of gender. It's only the parents who go and make the child wear cloth. The child is not at all aware of this, all those clothes and other things. It's quite happy to just move about naked because it doesn't have that sense of body. For one, a vidvat sannyas, the one that intense renunciation who has uh, uh, taken him to that state where all the distinctions have fallen off, body feeling has fallen off. His condition becomes just like a child. That intense, that storm he's speaking of, the storm of Ashwin, is that is a tremendous intense renunciation, which is like the storm which is as if, as if taken away all the so-called social norms from you. And that's what's that, that's the state of Vidvat Sanyasa. When you have intense renunciation, all the things which we are following willfully to reach that state in their life, they find expression as spontaneously. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying that if you also develop that type of renunciation, you will understand that how it happens. So in those days of God vision, I uh, <clears throat> that once Krishna Krishna asked me, why have you cast off the sacred thread? In those days of God vision, I felt as if I were passing through the great storm of Ashwin and everything had blown away from me. No trace of my old self was left. I lost all consciousness of the world. I could hardly keep my cloth on my body, not to speak of the sacred thread. I said to Krishna Kishore, or you will understand if you ever happen to be as intoxicated with God as I was. And it actually came to pass. He too passed to a God intoxicated state when he would repeat only the word Om and shut himself up alone in his room. His relatives thought he was actually mad and called in a physician. Ram Kaviraj of Natagor came to see him. Krishna Kishore said to the physician, Cure me, sir, of my malady, if you please, but not of my own. <laughs> so, all love. So, this is a wonderful thing again, that a spiritual illumined soul sometimes may appear just like a mad person. But there's a difference. What's the difference? To give a common example, suppose there's a group dance going on. All are dancing in rhythm. And you find one person is dancing out of rhythm. Now you may immediately conclude he doesn't know dancing. He cannot dance in rhythm. His steps, you have to be trained to that so that your steps should be in the rhythm. So you may immediately conclude he doesn't know dancing. Yes, that, that's, that possibility is there. But there's another possibility that most probably he is dancing in a tune which is not audible to most of us. He's dancing in some other tune, which is not audible to us. So then also it will appear to most of us that he is not dancing in rhythm, but actually he's dancing in some other tune. So in spiritual life, sometimes when you get attuned to the divine, your actions may appear to be something similar to a mental deranged person. But there is a pole apart, but they are pole apart. To give an example, there is a syndrome called Capgras syndrome in uh, uh, those who are students of psychology. You know that there, are, there is a psychological 
uh, issue, the psychological uh, defect, which is called Capgras syndrome. What's that? That suddenly one, one day morning, a person gets up and sees his near and dear person, most probably his own mother. And he will immediately starts shouting. You look like my mother, but you're not my mother. You're an imposter. And the mother will get totally confused. What has happened to my child? He may take him to the doctor and the doctor will diagnose it as a Capgras syndrome. What it is that our perception that when you are perceiving something in our brain, the perceptual centers are wired with our emotional centers. When I see my near and dear one, the perception is getting wired with the emotion and that gives the sense of that my, this is my father, my mother, this, this, all the things which we are relating as with our emotions. Now, if it so happens that, that, that there are these emotions, the center of emotion gets disconnected from your center of perception. And then only that this, uh, this is called as capgras. So you will be seeing the same world, but as the emotional factor is not there, you will somehow feel that they are all impersonating as your relative, but they are not so, they're all imposters. Psychopaths also have the same problem. Now emotion doesn't work because the emotion is in no way getting linked. And now just take a, take a spiritually evolved person. He has consciously, constantly contemplated on the fact Brahma Satya Jagat Mithya. That the conscious principle, the non-dual conscious principle alone is the truth. Everything else is just uh, mithya. It's false means not, it doesn't, it, it is not that it, it doesn't exist. It, it, mithya means what? It is just uh, visible for the time being. It's a flow. It is something which is transient. Just the way when I see a snake in a rope, the snake is transient. When the ignorance started, then the snake has evolved. When the ignorance falls off, the snake is no more there. So it is transient, but the rope is permanent. It is always there. So similarly, this world is transient. So it doesn't have any as such uh, substance behind it. So constantly through that contemplation, you that a spiritually evolved soul is willfully, consciously detaching his emotional center from the perceptual center. Now what happens? The thing for a mentally deranged person, what is by default, here it is designed. So apparently it may appear that he is like a mad person, has no such emotions working, but actually it is something which he has designed. He's conscious about it. For the other, it is something unconscious. Even you take, there's a schizophrenia, that a one by constant contemplation, that What's the basic idea behind the schizophrenia? That suppose that there is no one uh, in front of you, you may see someone and you start relating. You may, you may find that someone is walking down the street, laughing, conversing with whom you see no one, but he's conversing with someone, he's laughing. And now you may find that a spiritually illumined soul is as if talking to God. And you may say that there are many who will say that this is also a type of schizophrenia. And it's a, it do have a very strong, uh, what you say, this reason behind it. But again, they are poles apart. Yes, that is also an auto-suggestion. What we see in the external world, what I'm seeing is actually what is projected by the mind. For most of us, what is projected is common. That is the, uh, they call this consensual, consensus reality. That we all consent to be reality because it's common. When I see the red flower, you also see it red. Some, uh, you, uh, I also see it red, so it is red. But actually the redness has been projected by the mind. But for some, it may be projected as blue. And I will say he is defective. Actually, we all are defective. 
but that's why in the modern psychology they don't say he's uh, he has mental uh, aberration they say he is different from us they never say that he's mad he's different because we all are projecting the most of us are projecting the reality in the same in in a particular way it's like voting the the majority wins so the majority says it is a consensus reality the minority we say he's having defect but he's actually perceiving separately so what we are what intend to say what we see is a projection of the mind so for a schizophrenia what this seeing is also a projection of the mind but for him it has happened by default what happens that he is relating to the person he's a worldly person it is not that he's a spiritually illumined someone with whom he's relating his world he's trying to relate with the his uh, imagination in a worldly way and he cannot distinguish between the reality and the hallucination everything gets mixed up but when a spiritually illumined soul through meditation is going to that world yes then also he is as per pure psychological term is hallucinating but there's a lot of difference it's design that the mother on whom i am meditating is the creator of the universe is pure so with these ideas when you are going and it is it takes you to such a deep absorption that your ego falls off that so called hallucination actually becomes a framework to relate to the reality it is a framework it needs a we can go on with discussion on this factor that what's the difference between spiritual realization and the so called mental aberration is is something which should we should be very clear about because we find there are many books where they try to prove that all this spiritual realization is nothing but uh, the hallucinations of the mind and sometimes we find that their reasons are quite strong but there is a lot of difference between these two though they may appear to be same i we will just take this discussion again in the next class we'll try to just try to understand the basic difference between these two today i will just end the class with swami vivekananda's very nice way of uh, differentiating this a madness and a spiritual realization he used to say that the opposite poles look alike i cannot see the infrared light i cannot see the ultraviolet light the ultraviolet light will burn my skin it can result in skin cancer infrared light is very weak but my eyes cannot see where this uh, the infrared and cannot again see the ultraviolet i cannot hear the infrasonic sound i cannot hear the supersonic sound because my the audible range is 20 hertz to 20000 hertz if it is beyond the sound which is beyond 20000 i know the supersonic planes it's not allowed to pass through any residential area because the glass panes will break off it creates such a tremendous vibration and other also is a very feeble sound that also i cannot hear this also i cannot hear so they both look alike but there is a pole difference their poles apart similarly the god intoxicated the one who is go- intoxicated by the divine that his madness may appear to be as this similar to that of an ordinary madness but their poles apart so that's why he's saying that cure if you want to cure cure my malady but not this my ohm is very in a very jokingly he's saying that but it has a great significance we will take this discussion again in the next class and try to understand the distinction between the so called ordinary derangement of mind or even by taking some drugs you may have some uh, that what you say that uh, altered state of consciousness we will find that if there were after the hippie movement there's about two three decades many people resorted to taking drugs for going to that altered state of consciousness thinking that to be a spiritual state of existence that how this this altered state of consciousness through drugs or because of derangement is not similar to that is not something same as spiritual illumination that we will 
try to understand again in the next class based on this conversation uh, uh, which sri ramakrishna is mentioning about krishna kishore so with this we stop our discussion today we'll continue with it again in the next class thank you all namaskars